Yeah, I think the most like aggressive concert that I've ever been to is probably Fallout Boy. <laughs> Hell yeah. The United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive when its public life, its public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more in taxes. I don't know. So like, yeah, I guess I'm really surprised that this happened, actually. So there's this Astro World concert, right? And that's Travis Scott. And Travis Scott, basically, like the controversy is what had happened is like, multiple people were like trampled people died like tons of people were sent to the hospital and like it it was just like a mess and like that's horrible and like you know we stand with like the victims families like that's no one should like go to a concert you know and like expect that they're gonna die like all the concerts you know we were just talking about like i've been to like (laughs) you know fall-off boy like um sia like very pop stuff so i've never participated in a mosh pit certainly not at like a macklemore show (laughs) which was actually very good by the way um because kesha was there but like you know what i mean like a concert is supposed to be like fun a concert to me is almost like a sacred event because you're with so many people like experiencing the music together you know what i'm saying yeah I, i i have been to some pretty aggressive concerts um I've been to like Bring Me the Horizon concerts. Oh, um, cool. The Architects, Wage War, like all the all these metal bands. Um and the concerts have been great, but and but those do get intense with like the crowd surfing and the mosh pits and people getting thrown around. And I know I was just saying this earlier, I'm actually kind of shocked that I haven't been gravely injured at a concert. But yeah, I think you're right. You should be able to go to because one of the, one of the things that I think makes concerts really cool, and one of the reasons why I miss them because I can't even remember the last one I went to. I know, me neither. Is that um, you're like all united by the music, right? Yeah. Like everybody knows the music. You sort of know the bands. Um, just the whole cultural aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And I will say too, like I love those concerts, but that is one of the things that kind of annoys me about them is how aggressive and crazy they do get. Cause it's like, as soon as the music starts, the guy next to you, like turns into like a zombie from I am legend, but like, literally they're, they're like, um, it like, like it gets insane. Really? And that is, yeah. And that is one of the things that kind of annoys me because it's just like, dude, can we just, can we just enjoy the music? please? Like, <laughs> so like, what I don't do want to fight you. Right. What do you do if you're in that situation? The guy next to you starts like just going ham. Like it's probably too loud to be like, hey, can you, hey, give me some space or whatever, you know? And yeah. And even if you do, they, they won't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what I've done is I've just like moved, you know, somewhere Mm -hmm. else or tried to get away from it. Cause there are, yeah, there are some people that just get obnoxious. But that's the um, thing, like never, it's never been to, or I don't know about like never, like that's a strong word, right? But this extent is crazy. And there have been people like, you know, the Zoomers, 
are all over TikTok with their conspiracy theories. Like some people are saying this is like a demonic sacrifice, like by Travis Scott. Um, people are saying that like there was like a conspiracy to like inject people with drugs to make them act crazy. I don't I know about that. all that. Yeah. But like the biggest thing that I've been hearing people say is that like Travis Scott should be held responsible because he would have been able to see what was going on and he should be criminally prosecuted for this. Now, what do you think about that? Um, I think I think it's hard to say because I I have been at concerts where the band does notice that something's going on. Like they do notice that like someone's fainted or like some like some dude like grab grabbed a girl's boob once I remember at a concert <gasps> and the lead singer like called him out and told Good. security to take him out. That's awesome. But I do know that there have been instances where like someone's fainted or someone's like overheated or or something and the band's try or, or the crowd's trying to get the band's attention and they don't notice. Mm. And I kind of understand why they wouldn't when you've got this just sea of hundreds right you know in, in cases of festivals thousands of people and you've got like cameras and you've got the music and you've got you know the the headphones in and and, and the lights and, and everything so i mean i understand why you know I, I i could understand why he he wouldn't have noticed that but you know at the same time it's unclear if he if he didn't notice at the time i think it's still unclear when when he found out about it because Apparently he was um partying with Drake after the concert after the show and his attorney or his spokesperson is going on going on all these news shows basically saying like oh well you know what after the show or while he was partying that that was really him like meeting with his team trying to get this all figured out and really? people are saying well yeah like shouldn't he have known about that like the second he stepped off stage at at the yeah. very least yeah, you know, just for PR if, purposes. If not that, like, you know, could could somebody have let him know? Because that's another thing. Like, did security or anyone else in the band or any of like the the crew, you know, could could they have, you know, seen what was going on? So it's just weird. I think there's a lot of different variables. But I did I did see his spokesperson like go on TV, and she was talking. She was like, "Oh yeah, it's." so unfortunate that we're meeting under these circumstances and I have a daughter of my own and I've been up for three sleepless nights because she goes to these concerts too. And, and it just came off as very like inauthentic, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I'm trying to, trying to be like, or trying to be like sympathetic and, you know, just kind of coming off as really, really dry. Yeah. I, I get that. I think that like, um, it, PR by nature is it's always gonna or not maybe not always but like generally like it just doesn't look good especially like when something like this happens but like my thing is like and these tiktokers Nick they would take you to town for what you're saying because there's like video which they claim Travis is like looking right at what's going on and he can see it now, I mean, I guess we'll never know like what's going on in his head. Like maybe he's looking past that. Like we don't I didn't know see that for video sure. in my defense. No. <laughs> but like, well, but that's the thing, is what I'm saying Danny is like, TikTokers we, out there. <laughs> we're never gonna know, like, for sure, like if he in his head like made the decision, like, should I stop my concert? But like 
my thing is, you know, to be honest, like I, I do take issue with like the idea that like anyone be criminally prosecuted for something that they did not have direct physical involvement in. Like, I think Mm. would it have been morally appropriate for him to stop the concert? If and did he, if, if indeed he saw what was going on, absolutely. And I think, you know, if he knew it and did nothing, I think that's morally reprehensible. But criminally, I don't know. I think it sets a dangerous precedent if we were to prosecute somebody for like just kind of, you know, like the bystander rule where like, well, you didn't do anything. It's like, yeah. okay, but they also didn't like it's not like travis scott like took out a gun you know god forbid and like killed his fans like that would be another story but i don't know what do you think about like the legal precedent that that sets um it's definitely a gray area it's like yeah oh you broke into a bank and you know to rob it and in the process gave the teller at the bank a heart attack you know like are you now responsible for murder yeah. You know, on top of robbing a bank, because while you're you didn't actually kill the person, your actions or in, I guess in the case of Travis Scott, his inaction may or may not have contributed to, to those lives being lost. Um, I don't know. I, so, yeah, I feel like it's a great area. I mean, I know that there are different tiers of murder. I know that there's like manslaughter, you know, that you can charge people with depending on the severity of the crime. But I would say in general, I think I, I I would say it does set a dangerous precedent for, you know, convicting someone of homicide or murder, even if they didn't actually kill the person. Yeah. Because I think it's like how, like how, how far do you take that? Like, how long do you drag that out for? You know, it could be, could be a slippery slope, shall we say? Absolutely. All right. So speaking of right and wrong. Another story that surfaced this week was about, um, I think CNN covered the California wildfires and the fact that the state of California is using prison labor. So they are using convicted people to fight these wildfires and paying them very, very little. Have you heard about this? Yeah, I, I don't know the specifics, but I do know that because of the way the prison system is is set up in the united states the private prison system what will happen especially with the private prisons is they will often use the prisoners as as cheap labor you know so they'll have them do these jobs and they'll get paid like 13 cents an hour 17 cents an hour and you know i would say i mean if you look at uh the u.s prison demographics like we have 5% 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prison population. I would say that having that dynamic set up um, incentivizes uh, the state to lock up more people. It incentivizes these private, private prison, private prison companies to get more, more contracts from state governments. And I think this is a really good or really unfortunate, but, but solid example of it. Yeah, absolutely. So According to CNN, about 3,000 inmates are part of the state's conservation camp program. So that they like are trained while they're in jail or in, I guess in this case, prison, obviously. Um, they have to, I don't know, I, I think they're being, they're being put at risk. So let's say the 
inmates work long hours earning between $2.90 and $5.12 a day, an additional dollar an hour when they're battling fires. And that, to me, I do take issue with that. Right. I, I do take issue with that because I think that, like, for something like for any type of labor, right? I mean, like, you know, we've talked before on the show about how, you know, $15 an hour is like <laughs> respectable minimum wage at this point. It should be much higher than that. But these are like criminally low wages. And it's disgusting to me that like there must be some type of loophole that allows the prisons to get away with paying these people so little. And what's disturbing is, and like, you know, like the, our, our opponents would say, well, you know, what are they going to spend it on there in prison? But like, I saw a tweet today. Maybe you saw this too. Like when they accept phone calls from home, it costs like more than a dollar a minute to talk to a family member. Yeah. You've, yeah. So you've got to pay money to use the phone. You've got to pay money to use the internet. You've got to pay extra money to send an email. Like there's all these absorbent costs that would cost, you know, nothing or, or, at, at the very least, a significantly lower amount than what they're being charged for in prison. And they're also charging them or paying them less than what someone would earn while they're making minimum wage. And I think the loophole you're talking about, um, this might be one of the loopholes, but the 13th Amendment um, of the U.S. Constitution famously ended slavery. Right. Um, but what it actually says, there's an exception clause in it. It says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall have been do- duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Wow. So slavery is legal if it's being used as punishment. Like you can still. Yes. So technically slavery is still legal. That's literally in the 13th Amendment. Yes. As long as they're convicted of a crime. That's Mm -hmm. horrific. And I think if you look at how, you know, African-Americans make up 13% of the population and about 64% of prison inmates are people of color. There's a, yeah, I think there's a strong correlation there, but yeah, that's, I think that's how they get away with it. And also just the fact that like, you know, again, the private prisons, like one of the things like another thing that exists in California is the um, the uh, three strikes laws. And that yeah. was something that the private prisons lobbied the government for because they they use that cheap labor, you know, to do things like fight fires or any any of the other odd jobs that that they have to do. Uh, and they get out of actually paying them for it because they're essentially doing slavery unreal unreal and yeah i think the three strikes law so correct me if i'm wrong so that's when like on certain crimes and of course people would say well yeah on violent crimes like maybe certain drug offenses though i know are included in three strikes laws um if you get caught like a third time doing something with like i don't know a high amount of heroin for example at that point you are, it is like mandatory that you are sent to prison. The judge gets no, you know, there's like a minimum prison sentence that you would get on your third offense. Is that, have I got it? Yeah. So the three strikes law significantly increases the prison sentences of persons convicted of a felony who have been previously convicted of two or more violent crimes or serious felonies. 
and limits the ability of these offenders to receive a punishment other than a life sentence. Wow. So it's not even a certain number of years. It's a life sentence. Yeah. So it's really just a felony and um, an additional two violent crimes or serious felonies. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what, what would constitute. But I do know that, like, if you look at drugs, like marijuana still listed as a Schedule 1 drug even though it should be listed as um, like a schedule five, but um, a lot of, a lot of people are locked up for, for drug offenses as well. Yeah, absolutely. And who's to say that, you know, they don't constitute that as a, as a serious crime. Right. And of course this three strikes law disproportionately affects black people. Um, And we know that, you know, the statistic and we can repeat it again, 13% of the population is African-American and 60% of the prison population is people of color. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I love when, or I don't love, I'm being very sarcastic. Let me be very clear when people say, well, yeah, that's because black people just commit more crimes. Have you heard that? I have heard that. And I mean, I think the context matters because what they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, black people are 13% of the population. They they commit like 50% of the crimes, but they don't take into account like redlining. They don't take into account like gentrification, how, you know, when you are redlined or segregated into a community, you know, that's going to incentivize you to commit crime. Um, when you deprive people of opportunities, that's going to incentivize people to commit crime. So there's never, there's never any context, but like, if you look at something like drugs, like white people and black people, smoke marijuana at the virtually the same rate and black people are much more likely to get arrested for, you know, for smoking marijuana. Absolutely. I think another part of it to me that I consider is the fact that like white people are much more likely to commit like white collar crime. So like embezzlement, things of that nature. And when you're living in poverty, which again, disproportionately, there are a higher number of black people that are living in poverty. Like, and I think our community, like where I'm from in Michigan is a great example. Like we're from the suburbs. If you drive into Detroit, if you drive like a 45 minutes from either, I don't know, how far are you from Detroit? I'd say 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's even a greater disparity. If you drive 20 minutes, you have a greater chance of being born into poverty. And when you're trying to balance school, maybe you're working at McDonald's or at KFC or, you know, the couple of fast food places, a convenience store that Detroit has, you you don't have a lot of options for income. And so it becomes that much more attractive to get into drug dealing. It becomes that much more attractive to get into you know, all types of other illegal activity because you're being, your back is against a wall and you're put in a position where crime seems more attractive. And I think that if we really wanted to do something about poverty, if we really wanted to do something about crime, we would address the roots of crime. And I think that that to me is a much more viable solution, like taking people, maybe making Detroit school system better, making giving people more money for their wages, you know, in and out of prison. And then you wouldn't have such a high crime rate. But the thing about it is if we have a system like that in which we prevent crime from happening in the first place, instead of the band-aid solution, quote unquote, which is prison, the prisons make less money. And that's part of why we don't do that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that would be taking a proactive approach instead of just a reactive approach. Right. And then even after that, like we put them in prison and the focus in prison isn't rehabilitation. Like we have a recidivism rate of like, I know well over 60%. Yeah. Whereas like a country like Norway, they have a recidivism rate of about 12% because they actually do rehabilitation. Is it really that low? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If you look at their prisons, there was a video, a movie where Michael Moore went to a, went to a Norway prison and it was, it was like totally different than what he expected. It's totally different than what happens in the U S you have like people from the community who come and like, will do shifts in the prison. And the whole idea is like, Hey, you're supposed to be like rehabilitating people who are going to come back into your community. So you have a vested interest in helping them. Um, it's totally different than the way we do it. But yeah, the, I mean, the incentives are all, are all screwed up. You know, you would think that, Oh, you want to, you want to stop poverty. Okay. Well, um, fix the school system. Like you said, make it easier for people to get an education. Um, pay people a living wage while they're working those types of jobs. Um, set up rec centers where people, people can go and spend their time. So they're not out on the street, you know, like you could do all these things, but the thing that's in everybody's head is like, Oh, just give more money to the police. Give like, I think Ben Shapiro said this, this was last uh, summer. He's like, you want to deal with crime in Chicago? Um, load the streets up with police. And it was like, it's oh, just, God. it is. It's like you're saying, it's so reactive and it yeah. just doesn't have to be this way. Right. And, and I would say that like, there are people who like have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo and they're mm-hmm. going out there and saying stuff like that. And then I think most people, I think most people though, just, just hear it's like, it's like trickle down economics, you know, like you just hear it over, over and over again, it gets drilled in your brain. So you're like, oh, that, well, that must be the solution. I also like your point about the white collar crime, because if you think about like the guys who crashed the economy on Wall Street, mm-hmm. they had no punishment. They got bonuses. Um, and there are people all the time. I, I know people. Well, I don't know them personally, but I know of people who have done embez- like embezzle- embezzlement and, you know, what will happen is they'll get like demoted or they'll have to you know go work for another company. And it's, it's just, it's so stupid. No, it's ridiculous. And it, it's, it's extremely and it's like those racist. People, yeah. And it's like those, you'll hear like from those same people, like, oh, you know, those people, people who are doing drugs should be locked up for life. Or it's like, really? What about what you did? <laughs> 100%. And I think another thing I feel like that we don't talk about enough is this prison labor piece, because like what you just told me about the 13th amendment, like live on this show is the first time that I'm hearing, like, I've heard the, I've heard of like prison labor before. I know that there are like big companies. I think like Victoria's Secret, AT&T, like are two of them that I know that benefit from this, you know, prison labor. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think so when it comes to that case, I think like prison labor is something that I have heard of before because I'm, you know, obviously very interested in social justice, but I never realized that it was full on legalized slavery, Um, and I think that the comparison that you draw where, you know, we're looking at this amount of specifically black people who are affected by this prison labor, that just makes it, it's, it's an outrage. And I feel like that's something 
that we don't hear about very much in the media. I mean, in this CNN article that we were just discussing, like, I think the headline is, um, let's see, prison inmates are fighting California's fires, but are often denied firefighting jobs after release, which is very unfortunate, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I think that's, that's problematic, right? Because they did go through all the proper training. Like they're literally putting their lives on the line to save other people's lives. But like the headline isn't, they're making two to five dollars a day. You know, that's something you actually have to read the article for. And we know statistically that most people just look at the headline. And I think that there are companies um, who are benefiting from the fact that people do not know the extent of the problem that prison labor is. Oh, for sure. And that, yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea that companies like AT&T and Victoria's Secret were, were benefiting. But, oh, man, that just shows how ingrained something like that is. Yeah. Like every mall in America, you'll see a Victoria's Secret. Mm-hmm. And AT&T, like how, how, how many people do they provide service to? Me. So uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, same. My internet. <laughs> um, so it just shows how, like, it's kind of like the military industrial complex. It just mm-hmm. affects our culture in so many ways. But, yeah, the thir- with the 13th Amendment, there's a great, um, Netflix documentary on it. I think it's just called the 13th. Yeah. And it goes in depth with like how, you know, after slavery was abolished, there were all of these, you know, freed black men and women. And what the, what the South would do is, you know, they would, they would pass things like, you know, Jim Crow laws and, and black codes and things like that to stop black people from participating in society in a, you know, in, a, a significant a real way but they would also like arrest people for vagrancy which was just homelessness you know so they mm-hmm. would pass like anti-homelessness laws and you know if you're black and you're recently freed like Where you don't you have any wealth live? you don't have yeah. any connections yeah so they would arrest people for being homeless and then it goes it goes into like the war on drugs and how you know politicians would start like using the word crime like we need to criminalize this we need to criminalize that like Nixon did it, Reagan did it, Nancy Reagan with her just say no campaign in the mm-hmm. 1980s. And it's just been such a big part of our culture ever since. Like that was the late 1800s and it's just been continuing. And the result is, is you know, black and brown people disproportionately getting getting locked up. Yeah. And I think like it makes me think about like, what would happen if we went without prison labor? Like, how would that affect our economy? And in the same way, I mean, we fought an, an entire war over, quote unquote, the economy, because how is it going to make Southern people's lives different if they did not have free labor? You know what I'm saying? So I think in the same way, like this is what the economy is built on. It reminds me, do you remember when one conservative guy one late night conservative talk show host, and you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, he, he tried to refute the claim that the white house was built by slaves. Do you remember that? Was it Tucker Carlson? Probably. (laughs) Um, I know he had a white supremacist, um, as his chief writer for his show for a little while. People found out about it because he was operating under this like pseudonym or this fake name on Reddit. And he would always brag to his friends about how, like, oh, I got this, I got this piece in the Tucker Carlson's monologue tonight. And 
Yeah. So I, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, be too surprised if that was him. But yeah, that's another example. White House was built, built by, um, black people, slaves at the time. Um, it reminds me of how like white people always think like, Oh, uh, nobody could have built the pyramids. It was obviously had to be aliens. It's like, or, you know, it just could have been people who weren't Europeans. <laughs> like right. that's possible too. Yeah. I, I think like, you know, it, it just goes back to the idea that like slavery never really ended. Like we are, we are to this day benefiting from the, the work of enslaved people. And I think like, that's like why, you know, Virginia's election, which happened a couple of weeks ago, like one of the biggest issues, according to voters, was CRT, the critical mm. race theory. And from right. my understanding, if if in fact critical race theory is even a real thing, because I'm not completely convinced that it isn't just a um, like talking point that the right has made up. I think if in fact it is a real thing, it's just like teaching kids that hey. Yeah, the White House was built by slaves. Hey, like slavery was a thing and it was bad. Like very real facts about our nation, like facts about the genocide, which I will call it that. And I know that's very CRT that we have committed on indigenous people. Like it's got more to do with the facts of history than it does about any white guilt. But it's interesting because that was a big issue that conservatives convinced people to vote on in the Virginia gubernatorial election. Yeah. I saw quite a few interviews where you had like white moms from the suburbs mm-hmm. being interviewed and they were like, Oh, what's the biggest issue for you? And it's like, Oh, it's definitely the ed- education. Critical race theory needs to stay out of our schools. Um, but here's the thing. And it's, it's the same way for Florida and it's the same way for all the other States who, who have been, like who have been mobilizing Republican voters about CRT or critical race theory. It's not taught in public schools. Right. Like the Virginia you know, state you're a teacher. <laughs> yeah. The Virginia um, uh, department of education came out and said like critical race theory is not even taught in the schools. Ron DeSantis in Florida banned the teaching of critical race theory. And the department of education was like, Oh yeah, um, this ban has gone into effect. Although we, acknowledge that critical race theory is not currently taught in our schools and it's like there's really two i mean it it is a real thing and there's really two types of critical race theory i would say there's there's what it actually is which is like a phd slash slash graduate law class where you you're basically looking at how the law has or how the law has contributed to racial disparities that's essentially what it is which is it's legitimate like, yeah <laughs> like that's everything that we just but talked about we're doing crt on this show don't let your kids yeah. listen to nothing left right and the the criticism if you like ask ben shapiro about it or ask any of these right wingers is oh if if you start saying that or if you start teaching critical race theory like the result will be you'll essentially be saying that all of America's institutions are plagued by racism and it, it infects everything. <laughs> and you can't okay. say that. And what's, what's wrong with that? Is that, is that false? Exactly. Just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like, that's the thing. And I think it's, it's just, even though that's not taught in public schools, 
like what's taught in public schools is like Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and there was this this really radical guy named Malcolm X. But it's like it never goes any further than that. No, I remember, Nick, when I was a kid, I think I was in... I think I was in second or maybe third grade and they passed out. Have I told you this story before? They passed no, but out. I have to hear this. <laughs> like everybody got, some of us got brown eggs and some of us got white eggs. And they told us everyone is the Boy. same on the inside. Can you imagine if your classmate was mean to you because you had a brown egg instead of a white egg? Li- yes, I was taught this. I was oh. literally taught that. And that's what racism oh, no. was. Yeah. See this. Yeah. I mean, the difference between that and CRT is like, it goes beyond just saying, oh, Bob down the street is racist. And because like in the school system, like a, a lot of times it's very simplistic and it's very like, oh, here are both sides. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's the end of the story or, or like, oh, this thing happened. But it's fixed now. Right. It's, it's to fine. kill a mockingbird. Right. But, you know, I mean, I mean, here, here's an example, though. Like, so so this is from USA Today. This was this story was from 2016. A bank to pay 10.6 million over loan discrimination charges. Wow. So listen to this. Uh, Bands Corp has agreed to pay a 10.6 million dollar settlement of allegations that the Mississippi based regional bank used discriminatory mortgage lending practices that harmed African-Americans and other minorities, federal officials said Wednesday. So here are some of the, uh, here are some of the things that, that it says in this article here. A federal court complaint filed by the Department of Justice and Consumer Financial Protection Bureau alleged that the bank, that bank officials told the, told loan officers to turn down, quote, Minority mortgage applications more quickly than whites and avoid giving borderline applicate applicants credit assistance and other mortgage seekers that other mortgage seekers might receive. So basically turn down minority mortgage applicants, even if they have the same credentials and same credit as as whites. All right. So federal officials and the complaint um, allege that band band corp South violated federal housing equal Credit Opportunity acts by, one, illegally redlining in Memphis, the market from which it receives the most applications by structuring businesses to avoid and discourage mortgage applications from consumers in minority areas from at least 2011 to 2013. Oh, my God. Improperly having one of the bank's lending units de- deny mortgage mortgages and other loan applications from African-Americans at higher rates than whites. And discriminated against African American borrowers by charging them higher annual percentage rates than whites with similar loan qualifications. So, but we can't teach about that, or no, that would be critical teach- race theory. No, that's the thing. We're supposed to pass our students out eggs and say racism is when someone is mean to you because you have a different skin color. And so, the the issue that I take with this is that they they're trying to pull the wool over our children's eyes and pretend that things like that do not happen. I mean, that story is from 2016. That is blatant systemic racism. And that is real. And for them to say like, Oh no, like we don't want to teach about how like racism is still going on. We don't want to teach about how it is in fact systemic. That's really disturbing. And I think it's disturbing to me also because like they're, is this notion that gets passed around of like white guilt. Like I'm sure you saw the woman, I think maybe in Virginia who went to like a town hall and was like, 
my child came home, this white woman, and asked me if I was the devil because I was white. And it's like, that's not, that's no one is teaching your children that. Like, that's yes. not a thing unless you're Catholic. <laughs> like, then, oh you're, then you're guilty from yeah. birth, right? But I'm, I'm they're my, just my, so hyperbolic. <laughs> but my point is, like, it's it's not about like making white people feel bad. It's about giving students the tools that they need to create a more equitable world. And if you're against that, if you're against equality, then you must be benefiting from inequality. You know? Exactly. I Very saw. Basic. I saw. I saw a great tweet um, a couple weeks ago, and I forget who who it was from. Kyla Lacey. The only people who are afraid of history being properly taught in schools are the ones who are ashamed of the past they still benefit from. There you go. It's it's the same type of people now who are upset about this that were upset about Little Rock Nine High School being integrated. Uh-huh. You know, are the same people that were upset about this the Civil Rights Act. And and they'll never admit it. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same thing. And I think the reason why it's still so contentious is the fact that, you know, we've, we really haven't properly dealt with this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we just read the 13th amendment. It's, it leaves, there's an exception clause. You can do slavery if someone's been convicted of a crime, you know, you still have redlining effectively and segregation going on according to this report back in 2016. And it makes yeah. me wonder like, how many other mortgage companies are doing that and, and just haven't been caught and yeah. And how many are doing it right now? I mean, it, it's wild, but you know, there's another aspect of this too, which is the fact that the Republican party is using this as, as a distraction, you know, they're using it as, as a culture war issue. Absolutely. Because like, what are they doing at the end of the day? Well, they're doing tax cuts for the rich. They're, allowing the EPA to, or they're, they're rolling back like EPA measures that pre- prevent companies from putting hazardous waste in the environment. They're doing these things that they can't run on, you know, so they're distracting their voters with, oh, critical race theory, or Big Bird is telling your kids to get vaccinated. <laughs> they or hate Big Mr. Bird. Mr. Potato Head is now just Potato Head. Um, <laughs> Wait, I is mean, he really, or are they really? Yeah, I got. Yeah, I guess they changed it to be just gender neutral potato. God. <laughs> yeah, SGW but, but see, this is like too far. I know, but th- that's what they focus on, though. And their voters like rush to the polls oh, to yeah. make sure that we can call Potato Head Mister Potato Head <laughs> to make sure <laughs> that trans people aren't using the bathroom of their choice, or to make you know. I mean, it's just all these all these things, and it's it's a total distraction. And it I just wish. Is that people were more conscious or more aware of this. I think but, it's like, if anything, it would be cool to teach CRT in schools, but I think above all, we need to be teaching critical thinking in schools because this information, the 13th amendment, you know, the CNN article about the firefighters that is publicly available out of, you know, all the stuff that the news media keeps from us and how they decide what's salient, what gets out, what gets told. There is some information that's available. So if we can teach our students to seek out that information and to evaluate it on its credibility, I think we are arming them with some very powerful mental tools. I think, I think you're hundred percent right. All right. I guess there's nothing left.